Wyatt. Time for a start show. Trouble defeat, audience! Your move silently and hide checks are successful. <coughs> Good evening, lords and ladies. You have chosen your entertainment quite wisely. For you are about to experience the most wondrous spectacle in the great, venerable, and multiplanar empire of Valadros and the Wyvens. I am your host proprietor, Romande Swarfinde, and I welcome you to the Twenty Sided Theater. Dancing lights! Quite a lot has happened since our last episode. Most gossipfully, Thrimlock Catherine looks simply dreadful in that plantain hammock that he insists on wearing whilst swimming. I would simply say that he was swimming, but his skin never actually touches the water while he visits the beaches of Penguidice Island. He simply gathers four or five alkanuts, yanks off Sir Gnome's left femur, casts Lenanian's flotation device, and hovers about three fingers' breadth above the waves, fast asleep. Luckily, the plane is small enough that if he does drift too far out to sea, he just ends up on the far side of Penguidice Island. Now, what was the other thing? Oh, yes. We started telling the story of a nameless adventuring party that's led by a dwarf. Ugh. Well, I'm not going to talk any more about dwarves than I'm contractually obligated to, so I have hired the Chip Dipson Memorial Action Town Criers, live from Sandeskar, to do the job for me. What's the news, Hera? Thank you, Romande. Our top story tonight comes from the Imperial Exploration and Task Service. A task force led by one Orma Ironheel of the Clan of the Leaping Spears has made contact with a plane that rivals the Empire for its marvels of engineering and architecture. Here's our own Peldra Cassin with more. Thank you, Hera. Iron Heel's task force was originally dispatched to contact, befriend, explore, and report on a plane that commonly refers to itself as these young kingdoms. Their first significant contact on the plane hired them to find seven artifacts known as the Keys of Rillincrena. The collection and redemption of these keys will allow the task force entry to a long, isolated island of austere and violent elves, whom the Empire has been courting for almost two centuries now. However, the party has hit a bit of a snag with their employer. We've got a sound bite. 
The short, red-headed Gluminar feller didn't seem too bad when he hired us. But when we handed over the key to that demonic-looking, red-eyed, white-haired elf, I wasn't quite so sure it was the right thing to do. How did you get that clip, Peltra? I know the Imperial Task Forces are supposed to turn in regular reports, but nobody's that comprehensive. Not even we, the Action Town Criers. Well, Hera, about seven months ago, a spokeself from the Wagwanja Thoughtscape Monitoring Bureau disclosed that they had discovered an unfamiliar signal from unknown origin. It seemed to cut across planes, which shouldn't actually be possible, according to the experts. This individual's connection to the Thoughtscape seems to be highly amplified by either magical or technological enhancements, so it literally allows the Imperial Thought Monitors to watch events in real time through the individual's eyes. Thank the gods this person is working with the Empire, then. Such spycraft could be devastating in the wrong hands. It's time for a word from our sponsors, but when we come back, we'll go to Angar Flamehand for this week's health tips for the lazy and the compulsive. Lords and ladies of my beloved audience, please do recline upon your gilded seats, quaff your libations, and adjust your listening devices so that you may optimally enjoy your evening at the 20-sided theater. You've been at sea for two days now, and you're nearing the spot where you agreed to meet Gluminar and Morellian to hand over the next key. Except that Mama Ironheel never raised her son to give no magic artifacts over to nobody with no red eyes. Red eyes is evil eyes, she always said. How many negatives were in that sentence? I'm not sure they all cancel out, but I take your sentiment, Ormar. That's your problem with that sentence, Calendar. Not that Morellian has pink eyes since he's an albino. Yeah, Osric, he usually does. But you saw how his eyes glowed crimson red when he touched that huge black sword with the rat skull pommel. Only evil people glow their eyes that color. Mostly true, Portia. But what if someone good has power over fire, or they're the red member in a rainbow-themed task force of some sort? Then their eyes might glow red, even though they're good. You speak truly, friend Wank, but from what you have told us, Morellian wears black armor and wields an oversized ebon rune blade. Those are also attributes that few good individuals take upon themselves. Is that not right, Slayer Spud? Yeah, I and when you combine the black armaments with the red glowing eyes, this most often adds up to an evil individual. Mordorok of the Star Pasture says he agrees with you, Kartoffel of the Potato Squire. That is Slayer Spud, Sir Calandrian. My apologies, brave Slayer Spud. And, uh, could you please pass the salted pork? Thank you, Kartoffel. And thank you, Owen, for providing the wild boars before we disembarked. You have to thank Lottie for that. My old Dromiosaur just saw those little piggies, got that predatory look in her eye, and took off like a shot. Ahem. You all didn't seem to be providing for yourselves, so some of us had to pick up the slack. 
I swear, if I didn't leave so many decapitated quadrupeds at the edge of our campsite, you'd all starve. Sorry about that, Felicia. I didn't mean to discredit you. I'm not quite as good with cats as I am with archaeosaurs, so I never know whether to pay them attention or to ignore them. It's okay, Owen. You're only human. So whichever approach you take with a cat will usually be wrong. Hmm. Owen, your beard seems a little shorter than usual. Wow, Felicia, you're the first one who's noticed. Did you get chewing sap in it again? I think that was a newborn sticky ooze. Bye, for Sox's brow sweat, that was terrifying. Had to cut down my whiskers practically to the root, just so's Owen and Oz could try to coax the little feller off my teeth. No twerk that again. Just my grooming cycle. Gotta start the old winter beard even. Things have pretty literally been smooth sailing for you ever since the evil necromancer whimsically decided that he liked you and didn't want to turn you into zombies. But now things are about to get tricky. It's okay. We have a Corsair with us. With Porsche at the helm, I'm sure we'll be fine. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. Let's see here. Uh, where are we heading again? Toward the inverted island at the center of the Sea of Madness. Gotcha. Now let me just get out this map. Is that north, east, south, or west from where we are on this river? Wait, are we still on the river? Thornroth says that we are on the ocean, Porsche. Or at the least, we're on an enormous inland sea. Ah, right. Gotcha. See, I'm getting the hang of this corsairing business. Now we just need to head east by northeast from where we are, and then it'll just take some delicate helmsmanship to get to our destination. Tell the slaves below deck that they'll be free soon. One more stop, and then the next time we put into a port after that, their day of emancipation will have arrived. After another day of sunny skies, you reach the edge of the chaos-driven seas around a long, thin tail of rock. The image on Porsche's map suggests that this is one of three trails of volcanic islands that unfurl from the southern edge of the local continent. According to the locals I spoke to the last time we were in a dockside tavern, this place is called the Cape of Madness. Somehow, Porsche must have managed to direct us through all the Shilai and Charybdis and the battling sea and sky elementals that are supposed to define the limits of these waters. Well, you have to know these things when you're on the sea. Especially these seas. You know, it's madness on the Sea of Madness. Give me a bluff check, Porsche. Don't worry, guys. I've got this. No chaos-driven sea has ever bested Porsche Fireleaf. Uh, Porsche? We've never been anywhere near a chaos-driven sea before. Thus, giving such a sea no chance to beat me. Well, Miss Fireleaf, I hope your confidence is well-founded. Uh, let's see. Uh, Portia, what is your goal here? Well, these are the seas of madness, and they're super stormy, so I'm heading into the strongest part of the storm, since there's always a calm eye at the center. Uh-huh. Well, that's certainly one way to handle things. Let's see how you do with your Corsair. Uh, Portia, 
You sure this is the best way to get through this crazy sea? I, I ain't complaining or nothing, but if I die in more than three fingers of water, then I lose a bet. Uh, yeah. We ought to be through the worst of it pretty soon. Uh, just, just a few more minutes, like, like a third of an hour, tops. That's what you said three hourglasses ago. <laughs> Morrow says that it was actually closer to four hourglasses ago. You see, we used to measure time a little differently back in my day. But then the Grand Imperial Temporal Decimalization Decree switched everything from base 7 to base 10. And I'm pretty sure that you're using the old hourglass I kept, which was already obsolete by the time that Morrow and I were frozen in time. Look, who's the Corsair here? I'm telling you, we're almost through the worst of it. Portia's right. She's been very carefully steering you to avoid the spots where air, water, chaos, and order elementals are battling or performing. Whatever's causing all these heavy winds and lightning strikes. While the halfling man's the helm, the rest of you should make some spot checks. Hey, there's a break in the clouds over there. I can see daylight. And it's shining on a red archway. I can't really tell from this distance, but I think it looks like stone. Hmm. Yo, that's rock, all right. Some kind of basalt. Maybe scoria? All right, Portia. The seas look like they're common a bit. How about you take us toward that archway? Aye, aye, Ormer. Let's just spin the helm over to the right of it. Mistress Fireleaf, we seem to be turning a little too far. Maybe you should swing the helm back. Uh, thanks, Theo, but, uh, I think I've got this. Actually, I, I didn't like the angle, so we're gonna turn all the way around to make a better approach. You know what kind of skill check to make here, Portia. Okay, Fräulein Fireleaf, we are almost facing the correct direction now. Are you going to continue turning past our desired course? I, um... Oh, hey, look! There's a coral reef down there, down where I was aiming for. We, we don't want to run onto that. Think of all the little sea creatures whose habitat we've been messing up. Give me another one, Portia. Portia, are you sure you don't want a hand up there? No, everything's okay. I mean, I got us through all that stormy weather just fine, so going straight through calm waters towards a stationary point's relatively easy. At least it would be if I didn't keep seeing dolphins and stuff that I don't want to run over. This continues for a little while, Portia ultimately turning the ship in six or seven circles before Vorneroff rolls his eyes and gives a significant look to Sir Calandria. That's right, Vorneroff. It is usually me who causes you such exasperation. Maybe you should go help Portia with the same elegance and grace with which you usually aid me. No, it's all right, Cal. I don't need any help. I've nearly zeroed in, and if my calculations are correct, this should be the last full turn we need to make. Portia, spinning in circles is not a calculation. You're a terrible pirate. That's because I'm a Corsair. Plus, I'm still new at this, Miss Landlubber, or Skylubber. Skylubber? What is that even? Oh, wait. I get it. Because of my wings and the fact that I'm almost always circling above your ship since it gives a better vantage point than the crow's nest. What do you mean you're still new at this, Portia? 
I thought you said you was traveling with pirates for years before you joined up with my Imperial Task Force. Hey, I spent over five years on a ship with a crew of pirates. So what the hells was you doing all that time? Learning. You know, boat stuff. What sort of boat stuff were you learning from these pirates? Uh, let's see. Knots, tacking sails, sewing, fishing, coiling rope, weaving rope, uh, preventing scurvy, um, drinking rum. Oh, well, 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 then you got my apologizes, Miss Portia. I didn't know you learned to drink rum with pirates. Pirates teach someone to drink rum with them, and they usually teach them all sorts of kinds of other stuff, too. And if you can learn stuff from pirates while all y'all are drunk, then you just gotta be an expert. Drinking's the most important part of being on a boat. Just like mining. Says the hydrophobic dwarf. Us? Hydrophobic? Mama does not have rabies. He is not foaming at his mouth, and he is not raving. No, no he's, he's not. You, you know what? Never mind. It is not important. For now, we just need Porsche to steer the ship in the correct direction. Okay. While all of you have gathered on the mid-deck to our... Even me? Where are you standing right now, Porsche? Uh-oh. Not near the helm. Oh, word! I gotta get back up there before we hit that school of clownfish! Worry not, friend Porsche. For Volgaroth of the ancient Star Pastures has assumed your place at the helm. Behold, even now he grasps the wheel in his teeth, and his steady jaw guides us to the relative safety of a calm sea. Uh, Sir Cal, you do see what you're heading towards, right? Not at all, Master Voice. Whilst one steed commands one's forward momentum, one gains the freedom to swivel one's head around from left to right. There is no need to look forward. Ugh. Is anybody looking ahead? You know, seeing as a horse currently steers your boat toward a place called the Sea of Madness? He's not just a horse. He is an ancient elven steed from the Star Pastures. Noted. Also, I've noted that you are not looking out for any approaching dangers, Cal. What? Did, did somebody say my name? Sorry, I was tuning my violin, which is far more important than any of you. Sorry, I meant Calandria. Also, I now know that you are not paying attention either, Calendar. So who is paying attention here? I'm climbing up to the crow's nest right now, so I'd really rather not look anywhere but up for now. I'm enjoying the warm sun falling on the darker patches of my fur, so I'm not going to stand up and look over the railing anytime soon. Ah, uh, just gonna stretch out here for a bit. Sorry, Master Voice. I am currently regaling Osric and Kalindir with the tale of how Kartoffel and I escaped the deadly pit of poisoned peppercorns. Back when we were in the land of Herd. I'm looking forward, Master Voice. Und, I can see roiling, bubbling cloud banks moving swiftly towards us. Thank the gods someone's watching out for you guys. Okay, everybody make a reflex save. The seas are getting pretty choppy from all the sky and sea elements out there. I just reached the crow's nest so as I can get a better view. How are y'all doing down there, lads and ladies and others? Oh, I'm fine, Ormer. 
being half-celestial generally makes it easy not to be knocked down by earthquakes and shuddering decks and the like. But how do you fare against storm winds, Wayne? Uh... Not so great. But it was worth it not to be knocked down by the ship lurching from side to side like that. I'll just flitter down to the main deck and time myself to a safety line. Speaking of safety lines, you guys should also make some spot checks. Back up at the aft castle since that big merge we took. Uh, wasn't Vornarak driving the boat just a moment ago? Indeed he was. Unfortunately for you, the Star Horse and his faithful techno-magical knight have fallen overboard. But that's not what I was trying to draw your attention for. I think I see a ship out there. My eyes ain't quite as good as Vornarak's, but I think that's Morellian's flag they're flying. Yep. That's definitely the flag of the Sorcerer Kings of the violent towns of Mount Baloney, or whatever that place is called. The ships of that nation are typically crewed by vicious thugs of variable uniforms, likely plundered from all types of upstanding folks. Oh, and they're known for going barefoot, except their foot wraps of spider claw. Oh boy, looks like we're gonna have a fight. I'll man the cannons, I guess. Uh, do, do we have cannons? craft a cannon, but I don't think you have quite enough time for that. Perhaps we can use those Battle 1888 devices that we reclaimed from the Farting Dragon's Trove instead. Good plan, Owen. Let's see here. Give me a used device check. It looks like the little brass cylinder wearing a cone as a hat things go into this hole in the side of the barrel. So now I pull the lever to close the hole, and I guess the rest is just to point it and pull the trigger. Felicia jumps from her lazy feline reverie as the Battle 1888 device peels out. She arches her back and raises her hands before fleeing up the mast to join Warmer in the crow's nest. Did Wang at least hit the approaching warship? The projectile seems to have fallen short of the warship. Now, would you please help me pull Sir Calandrian and Vonarok from the water before they drown? Of course, my brave companion. Fear not, fair star elf and star horse, for Theo, the Wonder God, is here to save you. While Theo and Kartoffel haul Sir Cal and his steed up onto the main deck, the warship comes close enough for you to make out the scores of drunken, mocking pirates who make up its crew. This is terribly frustrating and puts me in a bit of a mood. Beware, pirates. I'm prone to lashing out. One of the most wind-blown, sea-hardened pirates you've ever seen drops the cutlass from his mouth and jumps into the sea, terrified by Felicia's menacing display. Ah! A seabound cat! Look at my recurring nightmare! Well, with so many pirates, I guess one of them was bound to have hydrogatophobia. One down, about 60 to go. Meanwhile, Theo and Hortoffel have finished pulling Sir Cal and Vornaroff up onto the ship. The Star Horse promptly returns to his place at the helm and clutches the wheel in his teeth, steadying his ship. Thank you, friends. I shall repay the kindness at my first opportunity. But before that happens, I should follow Felicia's lead and thin out the pirates with a tripping breath. 
Sir Cal selects a pirate, rashly standing atop the foremost ballista, reaches out his hand, whispers a spell, and sends a magical manipulator to pull the sailor's feet out from under him, throwing an ass over end into the sea. Ah, I sense a weakness in these pirates. Yeah, they're kind of dumb and squishy, all right. But they ain't nearly as terrifying as that. The party swivels their head around to see a grim elf wearing gilded black armor. His hair and skin very closely resemble Osiris, since both men are afflicted by a genetic condition known as albinism. Well, I'm, I'm not so keen on the word afflicted there, Master Voice. It's just a different set of circumstances, you know? Yes, boss, but you can't stay in the sun too long or you will burn for this is why you keep your parasol with you wherever you go. Look, that Illuminar fellow is even holding a parasol from Morellian right over there. Maybe you two are just more... inconvenienced than afflicted. Alright, lads and ladies and others. There's that guy we think is evil. What, cause he's got them red eyes? And there is that other red-headed fellow who looks even more evil than the albino. Red-haired people are always evil. This is common end knowledge. Why do you think so many of the sneakiest, least trustworthy dwarves have red hair? Because of the evil. Yeah, Calcian, right? Redheads are always evil. That's why so many of them burn when you put them under the cleansing light of the sun. It's why red-headed dwarves never come out of their underground mines. I hate you, Will, sometimes. All right, lads and ladies and others, it's time for us to charge straight ahead and ram that flower plane up ship. Owen, oh, you tell the drum master to pick up the pace for those slaves at the oars, while Vorderock there keeps the wheel straight. Right away, Ormer. Come on, lad. Let's get below decks so we can tell our erstwhile slaves that their period of servitude is nearly at the end. Huh, that's weird. Usually the Star Horse responds to his name with a snort. Hey, Cal, what's wrong with your horse? Uh, Horner? Something's wrong with Cal. With both Cals because neither of them are talking. And with the dire mouse that the armored one is always sitting on. Calendir, Calandriel, and Forneroth all stand at rigid attention, staring blankly into the sky. Ah, shark! Portia, get up there and grab the wheel! The horse ain't really in a state for driving right now. Are you sure that is such a good idea, Herr Heimhill? Good idea or not, my brave squire, it is happening, and it is happening quickly. Our duties are clear. We cannot allow that Morellian fellow to have the keys of Rillin Crena, and he will surely attain them if nobody stands at our tiller. Aye, aye, Ormer. Just gotta shove Ornorak out of the way. And here we go! Portia, what are you doing? Ormer said to keep the boat straight. What? He did? Yeah, I did. And now you're spinning us off to starboard. Let's see if you can get back on course, Portia. Give me a Corsair check. The Test Master is beating at quadruple time. We should reach ramming speed shortly. 
This may not help us, Master Dromaeus. Portia is swinging the ship this way and that so quickly that I'm not even sure which way we should be running anymore. Well, unless you can get the slaves to row backwards, looks like we're heading the wrong way. Which is just as well with a quarter of our party mesmerized. Must have been a spell by that Morellian river. But I wonder why it only affected the elves and the Star Wars. The answer to Former's question comes very quickly. Your three companions' lips peel away from their teeth in horrible, rictus grimaces, and they stand with all muscles taut for a long minute. They blankly stare into the clouds overhead, as all three, the Half-Dragon, the Technomagical Knight, and the Star Wars, begin to speak in unison. Is this thing on? You have the honor of being contacted by his ex-wife. Give me that twinkle, you fool. We have no time for pleasantries. This is the Emperor himself. I am reaching out to all forces in the field, to all strike teams, to our allies, and to our enemies. Sound and star, the holy city of Moratus, and the event is under attack. The homegoing end has returned, and our knights and magi are not enough to hold back the flood. If they take the gateways in the harbor, then all is lost. They will ravage and consume all walls that our empire has touched. Whether you love us or hate us, you must send your armies. You can kill us all later if you get the chance. We at least would die knowing that there will be Ah, this just got bigger than a bunch of ancient keys, I reckon. Visit the 20 Sided Theater online at 20sidedtheater.com. You can also follow us on Twitter through scryomagical links that Imanand and Thrimlock have established. You can follow the 20 Sided Theater at 20Sided Theater spelled with an R E, the insufferable Romande Sorfindi at Illustrious Row. Master Imanon Shenuda at Shenuda Necroco, Thrimlock Lenanian at Thrimlock, Isa Featherfoot at Lady Featherfoot, and the Spirit of the Swift Wind at Spirit OTSW. The Twenty Sided Theater is a joint production of Fair Industries and the Shenuda Necromancy Corporation. This episode stars Gabriel Abenante, Natalie Abenante, Blake Parker, Caridwen Quatrin, Kean Quatrin, and Rory Quatrin. And special thanks to John Abenante for the use of Owen Dromeos and Lottie. Original adventure and story by Kean Quatrin. Script adaptation by Rory Quatrin. Edited by Blake Parker. Music by Ben Briggs. Blackula Hunter. Digitex. Patashu, Silverman Sound Studios, Space Rake, Stephen O'Brien, and VCMG. For a complete list of and links to all the music and sound effects you heard on tonight's episode, visit the show notes at 20 Sided Theater. While you're there, consider donating to the upkeep and production of the 20-sided theater.
If you don't, I shall personally render your fat into tallow for my many patented lubricants. Your bones to carbon for smelting steel. And your soul, your soul to a viscous, sticky goo to make you all the more pliable. Yes, pliable soul goo. Join us next time at the 20-Sided Theater. Meanwhile, back on the plane of the beaches, Romande is pacing rings in the sand while studiously trying to avoid kicking any grains onto his poorly scrawled, half-edited leaf of parchment. Honestly, it's bad enough that they're led by a dwarf, but Iron Heel's Imperial Task Force simply cannot keep calling themselves that. It's simply not a good team name. Well, we could always call them by their official Imperial Registry title, you know, like how Imanon and I thought it'd get your goat if we jumped in line before you and named us Sofinde's Insufferable Bastards before you could register as the Malicious Melodious Militia or whatever it was you wanted to call us. That wasn't funny. And I still think that Romande's Ribald and Rambunctious Regiment is a far better name. Anyway, we can't call Iron Heel's group by its official registry because they're in the book as Mixed Species Task Force number 57822. So, any ideas for alternatives? The Agents of Order and Chaos, perhaps? How about two fantastical elves and some other guys? Dot, dot, dot. And that star horse! Man, what a horse! <laughs> Spirit of the Swift Wind disapproves of referring to Hornorak as that star horse, Lord Thrimlock. How would you like it if those mighty steeds started calling you that elf? Which elf? That one? Stop pointing at me, Catheran, and start coming up with a better name for that dwarf's group. Uh, let's see. Uh, the Filthy Dwarf Lovers and that amazing star horse. Let's see. Maybe there's an angle that we're missing to this team. So, we've already covered the dwarf thing. What else is distinguishing about them? Uh, other than the cat. Uh, and the halfling who can't see over her steering wheel. And other than the albino, the half-dragon, the half-celestial, that really old guy who wants to clone dinosaurs, and the really old guy who wants to become Captain Empire. Oh, and that amazing star horse. Well, they have all dedicated their lives to exploring the outer limits of the known worlds. They seek to spread the order of the Empire, and yet they preserve balance by plunging headlong into the chaos of new frontiers. Okay, so as a team, these frontiersmen are somewhat a force for law and order, but they're always in the thick of things, and they sometimes make either very questionable decisions with good reasoning, or very good decisions with questionable reasoning. Is there a word for that? A, a group of frontiersmen who are sometimes good and sometimes bad? A party, Master Thorfinde? 
A bandit can gather a posse just as easily as a sheriff or as an irate rancher. Excellent work, Sonome. Thank the laws of statistics that over infinite trials, some low probability events seem to cluster together. What do those words mean in that particular order, Catherine? It means Sonome has succeeded at something once again. And in such short time since the last time he succeeded at something. Plus, it doesn't really matter what he said before about a word for a group of frontiersmen who are sometimes good and sometimes bad. The most insulting thing we can possibly do to that dwarf is to let Suno name his team. Excellent thinking, Catheran. You know, you're quite a genius sometimes. Duh. That's why I say things out loud, Catheran. Well, Sir Gnome, what shall we call Mixed Species Task Force number 57822 from now on? Then I shall call them Iron Heels Imperial Posse, Master Thorfinde. Master Thorfinde? Uh, Master Lenanian? Where did they go, Torea? I believe they stopped listening as soon as you started speaking, Sonome. And they wandered away to find another source of Alconuts. It is a naughty habit that those two have developed since we landed here on Penguidice Island. Come along now, Sonome. We'd better go look after them so they don't get into too much mischief. And I don't want you unsupervised near the Alconuts. We all know you have a drinking problem. Yes, Correa. Honestly, Sonome, Spirit of the Swift Wind and I are flabbergasted at how you can still be an alcoholic despite your lack of nervous, circulatory, and digestive systems. It just makes me feel so cool, Torea. Like, maybe I fit in a little better and people will like me more. Well, Sonome, maybe Spirit of the Swift Wind should tell you about the time he tried to look cool for some people who had very bad intentions indeed. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And there you have it, Sonome. Quite a compelling story, wasn't it? Yes, indeed, Mistress Torea. I have learned my lesson. And from this moment forward, I shall no longer make decisions based on looking cool, but instead on feeling good about myself. Thank you, Spirit of the Sweet Wind, for teaching me such a valuable lesson. <laughs>